Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast. Where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. A wedding portrait and newly corporate photographer for a local defense contractor. Hey. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, things have come full circle for me. I am now doing work for my former employer and I am a official contractor for all of their photography related needs. And it's really changing the landscape of my work. Uh, it's, uh, keeping me very busy and I'm implementing a lot of new processes and trying to figure this all out as I go along. I think I'm kind of in the same same boat as you when you first started onboarding your work with uh with uh, was it Oakland College? Yeah, Oakland University. Apparently, apparently the key to becoming a commercial photographer is starting a podcast. Why is that? Because we we both started the podcast and once we talked about that, we both basically became commercial photographers. Yeah, if I could pull out a weddings completely, I think I would, but at this point I don't want to get too um, comfortable that the work is going to be like this forever because things can always change. So I want to make sure I don't invest fully in this model of business and then have it not be uh, there for me in a year or two. And next thing I know, I got to I got to re remodel what I'm doing here. So hopefully the, the pace of work keeps up and I keep these invoices going and uh, the work will stay lucrative. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to reposition myself in my wedding market and see if I can go for more high end weddings because now the pressure is a little bit off of me to to book more weddings than I than I normally do. Now, you kind of, I think we both already discussed this, that we had kind of a similar feeling about it. Neither of us really felt like leaving weddings. Like we were both happy being wedding photographers, but as soon as an opportunity presented itself, we were both kind of like, ah, at least that's how I felt. Like I just had this kind of resounding, I don't know, it just felt like such a grind over the years with wedding photography. And I think part of that is just like, the constant pressure of like, am I going to have enough bookings next year? Am I going to have enough mm. bookings next year? And it uh, constantly feels like really scary to be a part of. Um, and and for me personally, I mean, it's a combination of the commercial photography and everything that I'm doing on YouTube. But for me, it was just kind of like, wow, this just, I never expected to have to, to be away from the wedding industry. And I wasn't quick to get out of it, but like, boy, is it welcome. Yeah, it's taking a lot of pressure off of me, and I feel I feel some relief in ter- in terms of that. Now I don't have to worry that I'm going to book enough weddings this year. Uh, I was looking at a pretty lean fall schedule, so it definitely is filling in the gaps that I was missing in my schedule this year. I'm I'm not giving up on weddings entirely though, because I still do very much love the work, and I love the the insanity of it all, and the and trying to make something artistic out of something very, um, very red, very chaotic. And there's just so much being thrown at you. And how do you respond to those situations and then turn it into some kind of form of art, but not only art, somebody telling somebody's story in the process of it all. So I like the challenges that a wedding wedding offers me. I'd like the opportunity to be create creative, but now with the corporate work, I, I accept the new challenges it offers me. It means being more process oriented and being on top of my organization and making sure that all my work intake is being uh, managed very well and that I know what phase of preparation I am and what part of a job. So I'm 
I'm really welcoming that process that I'm building now for this work and that I'm looking at very practical lighting application. I don't have to overthink the creativity of it all, but I do have to do work that presents well what's being photographed. I need to have make sure that the light is practical and that it lights people well and it doesn't necessarily have to be artistic. So I like that challenge too. And it's definitely nice to have both types of work in my back pocket now as I'm moving forward in this new venture. I think one of the funniest things is coming from wedding photography and going into editorial commercial work, seeing people's reaction to like your ability and your speed that you can work at because, you know, especially if you're a a wedding photographer who likes to utilize a lot of flash, you get so comfortable with like positions and and speed and ratios and being able to walk into a room, set up a light and pretty close, be able to exactly know what your light output should be to the point where, you know, one adjustment and and you're dialed in ready to go. You know, when I, when I first started doing this work at Oakland, they were like shocked at how fast I was moving through vignettes, right? Like we're set up Mm -hmm. in this scene and it changes and now they're like, okay, yeah, but can we do something like really bright? And I'm like, sure. Whip, whip, change, move light a little bit, you know, adjust powers and boom, knock out five shots. All right. What's next? You know? They're just shocked. So wedding photography, man, I'll always I'll always treat it as like the best training that you could possibly get to be able to think quick on your feet as a photographer. Yeah, it really sharpens your skill set. And and like I like I do a typical event for this company and it's uh it's like a awards banquet. And so they'll they'll have a reception. And so I gotta do some on-camera flash work and work the reception. And then they go in for a dinner and then there is an award ceremony, and usually that's a grip and grin. So they get they get their award, they walk on stage, they shake, you know, um, an upper management person's hand, and they pose for a picture, and then they walk off stage. And at the end of it, I probably do a group photo. And so I'm doing things like off camera flash at the back of the ballroom, lighting the stage, because even even the stage lighting isn't enough. And then I'm combining that with an on camera flash uh, that I know, like I know that one one is for off axis. Um, like a key light, and then I use the other one as an on-axis fill. And so combining the light together, I'm getting better results. And I know for a fact that previously, like the photographers who worked these events were just shooting on-camera flash or probably using the available light. And so I, I'm taking pride in that I know I'm bringing something new to the work that's improving the product that the cl- customer is accustomed to receiving. And so, yeah, I, I move in and out of those setups very quickly, and I'm responding to that to that light, and I'm just going for practical, good, well-lit results. And I think it's coming out pretty good. Nice. So what is the bulk of your work portraits there as well? Yeah, I'm doing um, basically full day portrait days. There's a backlog of 400 portrait requests. And so I'm spending usually Wednesdays uh, for the last like four Wednesdays in a row. I've been going with an assistant and then taking on about one person every 10 to 15 minutes. And so we're shooting uh, three portraits. I'm doing headshots in each direction, left, center, and right. And then uh, afterward, I have to edit and then deliver all these photos to each person individually. So again, more uh, it's more about the detail um, part of it and being on top of the process and making sure I get everyone's names correct. And we're meta-tagging the files and, and on intake, I'm shooting everything live and tethering it. And uh, then they they go with the assistant and they select their top picks. And so they leave knowing what they want selected because I couldn't, there's no way I would do this after the fact and follow with each person individually. It has to be done on the spot. And then um, I edit and deliver. So this has all been like a, like a growing and 
evolving thing. And now we finally got a good process in place. And I've already got four of these days under my, under my belt. And I'm going to be shooting these events uh, pretty much throughout the rest of the year, at least once a month. Nice. Yeah, it's good work. I'll, I'll take it. And it's not it's not glamorous work, but it is work that I take pride in. And it's work that I'm trying to bring something better to. And uh, yeah. And also, I'm trying to give it a little bit of style, which is the theme of today's episode. Yeah, style is man, like it's always such an interesting discussion to me. And I, I don't know, I guess it's so interesting to me because I've always felt very malleable in terms of photography style. Um, and I think that's just in part of my history, but I guess let's lay some groundwork before we get into like our personal attachment to our style or how our style is developed. So how would you, how would you define a photography style? And I think, I think there's a couple things that come into play and it has to do with the subject matter, what you're, what you're photographing and the conditions you're photographing it in. Um, I think it has to do with like it's first it's camera related. It's everything you're doing in the camera. Style starts there because uh, we're talking lens choices, proximity to your subjects, uh, subject material, uh, timing and emotion. Like if we're talking photojournalistic stuff, uh, portraits. So style starts there, and then we get to the back end of it. And we got to talk about uh, workflow and process and what we're doing to the images to make them look a certain way. And so and that's just something that's whether it's been in the dark room or now in Lightroom or capture one so yeah i think i think style, style is all encompassing and it, and it starts in camera and it definitely ends in the in the lightroom workflow and see now to me the biggest thing that i think of when it comes to style is uh subject matter and subject relationships so how you are communicating with a subject but again this is just specifically applying to you know images with a subject in it at least a person in it um, but you know, style is obviously different based on every different niche of photography. Mm -hmm. And I never would have considered even now until this conversation, uh, the idea of lens choice as a style, but that's, that's definitely a thing. Like if you, if you're a guy who shoots only, um, only uh, fisheye lenses, if that's a style of photography. If you shoot telephoto only, like there's each lens provo provides different parameters of how we engage with our subjects, uh, no matter what it is, people, landscape, things, places, you know? Sure. Yeah. And wedding photography, we both know that your, your lens selection kind of each, each time you increase your focal length, you are kind of decreasing your connection to your subject. So the more, you know, far back you are, the less involved you are in creating whatever connection there is in that photo, because there's just less opportunity to communicate with them. So when I think of like, you know, pure photojournalism, I'm not touching or influencing this photo at all. I'm normally with a longer focal length. Whereas, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm actually heavily involved with it, then I'm generally using something a little bit closer. And you also see that characteristic and like the compression aspect that is provided by that focal length, you know, and how intimate it actually feels provide, you know, based on the focal length. Yeah, and that's interesting to me that you you say you would use a little bit of a longer focal length uh, to document uh, moments, or to be more photojournalistic. When I always hear a lot about uh, uh, photojournalists using thirty five millimeters is their ideal focal length, because then um, it seems to be like the the universal you know photojournalist focal length. Um, why do you think that is? I think the less the less present I am 
in in capturing the image. So the less aware that the subject is that I'm even photographing something, the more the more uh, their behavior will be natural, like completely natural. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, let's take say wedding prep, for instance, like if I'm in the other corner working on say detail photos, but I have my two seventy to 200 on the opposite side, well, I can capture like mom and the bride having a conversation like leading up to the day or something like that. Whereas if I have the 35 millimeter and I'm focused on those two, like I'm there, I'm involved, they're going to start turning because they're concerned about the nature. So maybe, maybe photojournalistic isn't necessarily it because I think you can accomplish that either way. But Mm -hmm. I think uh, organic and like true to how they would typically behave is kind of based on your distance to them. But I'm sure... But there, sorry, there's also there's communication elements as well. Like the closer, you know, the more that they trust you, and the more you coach them into being themselves and everything. That's that's obviously a huge element too. Because if you're close and just bad at communicating with people, then well, you're not going to get them ever to get truly comfortable with your presence. And I think there should be like a bar graph or like a um, yeah, it's a bar graph. What's a, a- I'm trying to pie think chart. of the right word now. A pie. bar chart, yeah. Pie chart? No, bar chart. Um, like I want a correlation of like the the shorter your focal length gets, the the likeliness of your subject's awareness increases. So like yeah. you can have like a chart that documents that. And I, for me, it, it becomes it becomes a bit of a game. Like how how much can I get people to like photograph authentically without them being aware of my presence or the camera's presence? So I I kind of I'm terrible at it with like street photography because I'm too scared to do it to strangers but like in a wedding setting or if I'm working an event and I know and people know that I'm there to take pictures I it's a fun little game for me to see like how much I can get away with with a with a closer focal length and being in there at like 35 millimeters and see if they notice the camera as I involve it with whatever conversations or things are going on man I have been like I I don't want to use an electronic shutter because mm-hmm. of all the woes that it can cause. Um, that's, I guess, a whole episode entirely. Or I've already got a YouTube video on it if you ever want to search that online. But um, I will say, like, having the electronic shutter and then keeping the camera off my face, like keeping it at waist level to where I can almost, like, sit there and have a conversation with somebody and still have it at my my you know belly button and capture shots that are going on um, has been, like, really invaluable as long as, you know, there's no technical issues to conflict with using an electronic shutter at all like that. People just completely forget about the camera. And I really like being able to do that um, because a lot of times people don't even realize that I'm capturing photos. As soon as you detach it from your face, you know, they're looking at you as a person, not a camera anymore. Yeah, I do have a tendency to shoot a little more from the hip when I'm working with cameras with flippy screens. So like when I'm shooting with like an X-T2, I kind of keep it waist level and I keep the the LCD flipped up and I and I can get away with not having people detect the presence of the camera a lot more. So I, I play with that a little bit because it affords you some advantages versus having it up to your eye. So definitely I think uh, the mirrorless cameras and uh, any any DSLR with live view and a flippy screen make it a little bit easier to, to get away with some of those moments. But uh, aside from from lenses, like what else what else can we what else do you think constitutes uh, contributes to style involving just the camera itself? Like what aspects of photography or characteristics of a camera do you think engage with style? Well, I think it's I think this is a dangerous thing, but I think that your settings 
can obviously contribute to the style of your image. And mm. I think the biggest one that sets up to me is going to be the the aperture. Like the the aperture that you select, I think has the biggest visual impact on your image. I mean, you can make a case for any of them, at least specifically shutter speed, but I think your aperture is the one that leads to the most, but as we'll get into later, I think it's dangerous to kind of rely on a specific aperture contributing to your overall style because I think at the same time you can miss opportunities just because of your comfort with a specific aperture. Yeah, I think there was a time in my work where I thought wide open was was a style. Like it's all I did was shoot everything wide open at max possibility. Because to me, the idea was that you could show off the best characteristics of the lens, like the purpose you, the reason you bought it when you shoot wide open. I bought this 1.4 lens or this 1.8 lens. I'm going to shoot it wide open uh, because to me, that's the biggest indicator of the the value of the lens. If I shoot a you know 105 1.4 wide open and you see that photo at wide open, whatever. If I shot a portrait of something you, of a person, you'll see that you'll know what a 1.4 photo looks like. Now, if I shot it at one point or f8. I feel like that value is diminished of of how that lens is uh, how people think of that lens. So I, I used to shoot everything wide open because that to me that was like that was like a demonstration of high aesthetic in either either in like style or maybe even cost of the gear that you're using. Uh, now my thoughts on that have changed, and you know of course it's going to be dependent on like you know how many how much of a focal plane do you need to get everything in focus. Uh, but I'm also looking at exploring with the idea of like shooting. You know, maybe I can shoot a wedding reception at f8 with my 35 instead of f1.8 or f2, uh, just to get more things in focus. Because that's also a style too. I get different. I get different quality of uh, lens flare in my um, in my glass. Like I'll see uh, more starburst type patterns out of rear kicker lights. So there's something to be said for uh, shooting at a narrower aperture and, and affecting the uh, things that are. And focus and the characteristics of the image that way. So I think you're right. Apertures, aperture is definitely a big play on style, but we shouldn't we shouldn't rely on um, shooting wide open and calling and making that only your style. Because I know there are people out there who only shoot wide open. Yeah, and I completely get it. And and your how you explained it, uh, you know, of being you're showing off the characteristic of you know the top characteristic that the lens can even achieve. It's kind of like hitting top speed in your Ferrari, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what separates the Ferrari from you know a Toyota Camry, and so uh, you know along with the styling and other things. But yeah, I I completely understand that, and it's easy. And I think the thing that draws people to the to the wide aperture is just like it's a very easy way to show you what to focus on as well as hide distractions in the background. So you just have to worry about less things because, you know, you're hiding so much with, with just the characteristic of the lens. But yeah, ultimately once you start putting more effort into, okay, really thinking through what do I want to show in this scene? Do I want to highlight these elements in the background? And that's something that I am, working a lot more in this editorial photography is, you know, what is part of the story and what isn't, right? And I think that I think that it's also affecting my approach to weddings now. I'm definitely using more narrow apertures a lot at weddings because I'm I'm trying to draw in more contextual elements from the backgrounds into my work. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that plays into 
uh, content and purpose um, like when regards to style? Uh, what are we shooting and, and does it require, like I can't shoot a wide open portrait uh, for the headshots that I'm doing for my client right now because that it, there's just no need for it. It, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as sharp of an image throughout the photo. Like I would, I would have like one eye in focus and the other eye maybe slightly out of focus. I would have the ears out of focus if the, if the face is in focus. So shooting wide open there is definitely not the right style. I have to know my audience and I have to know my intention for shooting the work. So I tend to shoot like, I'm like F eight, F 6.3 when I shoot these portraits because I need more in focus. And because I'm shooting on a seamless backdrop, there's really no need to blur out the backdrop. It's one smooth color. So the, the, discerning bouquet and and uh, background blur you you won't so you have to know your audience you have to know your content and the purpose for the image for sure and shooting wide isn't going to always get you there uh depending on the subject matter yeah so uh, you know in total if we're still kind of defining style there's just so many different layers to it there's the camera aspects the the visual aspects how dark how bright the colors of the image uh, the focal length, the aperture, like we just discussed, and as you just said, content and purpose, you know, the context of the image, the mission of your image, and along with your subject's behavior, the emotion and mood. So how does one person find their style when there's all these different characteristics that you have to focus on? Yeah, I no pun we, intended. Yeah. And I, I engage with a lot. We both do engage with a lot of uh, aspiring and up and coming photographers, people who are trying to find their way. And I think people struggle with style. Initially, I went through we've both been through our own um, own stories with style and how we establish that. But how do you come? How do you arrive at that? And I feel like in photography in general, I feel like imitation is a really good way to start. I feel like you should take in your influences, see whose work that you like. Uh, ask some questions. You can reach out to people. I've had people ask me, you know, what uh, there was a time in my work where I, had, I was doing really crushed and flat color profiles where I was doing a crushed tonality and I was getting that pastel muted look. And I got more questions about my post workflow then than I ever have. Now nobody asks me crap about my about my presets now because <laughs> I, don't, I don't do yeah I don't do anything that stands out. But um, I think looking around and seeing what other people are doing and emulating it because. Uh, if you don't, you're not going to have a style right away. Typically, like, you know, your, your absence of style is going to come out. You're not going to, you're going to maybe experiment. You're going to try things like I did. I tried a sepia tone. I would, I would edit a wedding and for an image I liked, I would give them a color edit and then I would give them like a, like a duo tone altered color edit. And then like, uh, and then a black and white. And it, it was, there was no rhyme or reason to it. And, and I just was like, I couldn't hone in on like one color edit and I wanted to give so much and I thought I was adding value. So I threw a lot of junk just to see what would stick. And, uh, that's, that's, you know, an experimentation. I look back at that work and I'm like, man, this work would stand to benefit from how I edit things now. Cause I have a more, you know, I have it more dialed in and there's really just one preset for almost all my work. And I think a lot of photographers struggle with that. So, you know, imitation is a good place to start when you're, when you're looking at style. Yeah, that's probably the, the best place to start because at least you can find kind of immediately go after, okay, I like X, so I want to produce X, right? Um, in terms of, I think that the harder things are like the emotions, the moods, the content, the purpose of your images. That is 
really going to be based on your personal experiences and and your transition, you know, through your career, your photographic career. And it's a moving target. I think that's like the most interesting thing about style is it's constantly a moving target. And I've I've done complete circles in my photography. Like I have Aperture is like a completely perfect one because very early on it was inaccessible. And then I got the wide aperture lenses and all I wanted to do was shoot wide open. And then I kind of went back and was like, okay, let's look at this with purpose. When can I actually start bringing in these background elements? And and now on these one, four lenses, I'm using five, six, eight, and hell, I shot an F11 today. So you know, it's it's interesting that you can probably constantly go through the same type of cycle and go back to something that you were doing before. So I think the important thing about style is to never accept it as this final thing. Like you're not you're not chasing a destination, right? Style is more so a journey. Yeah, it's very fluid. It's always going to change, and you're never going to settle into one style for very long. I think I think you give things like a year. I think my style tends to change, like at least as post-processing is concerned, tends to change um, a little over each year. I, I, t- I tweak something on the base preset that I use and then it comes a different version of itself. Like once I got away from that crushed tonality, little by little, I've been adding back in more tonality. I've been getting deeper blacks and uh, a brighter white point. And I'm looking for, I'm trying to keep, the similar aesthetic of what happens to the colors. I do a little desaturation of the green channel or actually I pump up the green just a little bit because it's kind of drab out here in the desert. And um, I've got I've got some interesting things going on in the skin tones and I just little things that I've tweaked over time. And then I've gotten away from that that crush tonality because now I look at work from like 2015, 2016 and I want to facepalm because I'm like this work is not representative of what I'm doing now which I really need to update my website because I have a lot of that stuff up still. And <laughs> um, I, I just realized that work doesn't print well. Like when it, it became apparent to me, like I I do work that, and this goes back into the in-camera stuff. I'm doing a lot of off-camera flash. I thrive on tonality. I thrive on color. And my editing style was not communicating any of that. And so I was getting this great color, but then I was, I was killing the um, tonality. And when you print that work, it just doesn't have the same vibrance as when you have a deep black and a, and a bright white point, you get that, you get better contrast, you get better colors. So I made a conscious effort to get away from that. And now, now my style is so dialed in. It's really not far off from what I do from my commercial work, from what I do with my, uh, with my wedding work. So my, my, Commercial work now, my corporate work is actually just derived from my base preset for my wedding work, which is applied to all my portraits, all my weddings. And then all I did was apply a more linear tone curve to it. So I got a more more normal looking tonality in it because I didn't want to look too stylish because I wanted to take some style out of the photos. So that's all I did to to incorporate um, this this new style aesthetic of editing for my corporate clients. So um, I'm actually trying to lose a little bit of style now and, and not have to work look too you know out there it doesn't need to be so oddly polished you know yeah i just don't want the uh audience here to get confused you're not you're not you're not losing style as in changing approach or final context you're just the application of it is a little bit different such that you have to dial back the intensity of what you would normally do 
Sure. Like, so I'm if, like, like, let's call it flair then. Like if I was working at like 50 pieces of flair, like I needed to take, a, <laughs> take away, like I needed to take away like 20 pieces of flair. It needed to be not so much flair. You know, what's sad is that we might have people listening that don't understand that reference because they're too <laughs> young and that hurts me. Oh man. Everyone needs to watch office space. I think it's still, I think it's still culturally relevant today. <sighs> Oh, de- uh, probably more so, man. There's more desk jobs in tech than ever. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, um, so there's two things that I want to kind of go over a little bit more. Uh, one that was interesting. Uh, first, let me just say I want to go back on Flash and talk about style and Flash and kind of go over natural light. But before that, I don't want to forget this. You said how you emphasize greens because everything's a little bit dry in the desert. And I just thought about how style kind of transitions based on where you're at, where you're at locally. Uh, You might have these influences just based on what is either available or unavailable to you. And I think uh, an amazing trend that I've kind of seen in photography and specifically wedding photography and something that we want to talk about here is trends is the what's come out of the Pacific Northwest most recently in weddings, which is just like no green whatsoever. Everything is super warm. And usually it's also accompanied with like the dark and moody aesthetic of like a little bit of underexposure, really deep blacks. Uh, and I, I've always found that really fascinating because it's kind of taken over. I think that's the the biggest shift I've seen in like everybody's work, you know, where everybody's work kind of follows the same direction or that's what's trendy. And I think it's so interesting because it makes sense in the Pacific Northwest because they're so used to that, that color, right? Like the green mm-hmm. is just in everything because they have it. They have that richness in that, in that area and so it was a it was a big deviation. It was something that people hadn't seen around there. And, you know, just seeing all this warmth in the image was very refreshing, which is why I think it got so popular. And then you just couple that with, you know, the that area being so trendy and everything. It just kind of sweeped the nation. Um, so I guess what do you think about trends that kind of go over outside of one specific area and just kind of completely take over the nation. Do you think that's like overall healthy and should people be following those things or do you think that it can be toxic? I think, I think you should follow them. I think you should um, even try it out and see if it works for you and see if you can tweak it and make your own, because I feel like there's nothing original necessarily. I think somebody's deriving something from someone else. Everything's derivative. And I feel like, I, and I had a point in my work where, and this is a trigger word for me, um, and not as much as it used to be, but I know some people who really freak out when they hear this term, light and airy, uh, because, <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, um, and bear, hang in there with me. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it's a bad thing because it's like buying cars. Like every car has a different set of features. They all go from point A to point B, but what style of car do you want to be in uh, to get there? And I think light and airy is a popular car and people like to ride in light and airy, and then someone else is selling dark and moody. So I think that all of those trends, those style trends have a place in the marketplace and that we should acknowledge them. We should even check them out and see if they work for us, if they drive with our work. We should be able to understand what is what helps our work and what is not helping our work. So I think light and airy is one of those things that I tried to do it for a little bit because I realized oh, I think brides like this and I see it's popular right now and I want to give it a try. And that was about 
uh, about five years ago and I was really going to give it a run. And I was, I was doing work that I thought like was going to make it, make it its way into wedding blogs. And then I had a wedding that was like a complete pivotal turning point for me where I had this, like I had to shoot a bridal portrait real fast and I had a beauty dish and an Einstein and a, and a vagabond battery. And just by happenstance, I got this awesome photo of a bride and groom on a Harley during a monsoon storm rolling into Tucson downtown. And all these great things happened with the light that were an epiphany for me where I realized like, Oh, I'm really into where the light is hitting and where it is not hitting is becoming uh, very apparent to me. And I, and I started to think about light in terms of control and spill and intending to light your your subject with with purpose, and uh, it was a pivotal turning point in my work, and it completely set me down a whole new route of style, which I think has brought me to where I'm at now. And I and I got there while I was trying to chase that light and airy. So I feel like people should give it a try, and and then also I don't I don't mind that those trends exist in our industry because. If you do, if you something is popular and you do something different, it's very easy to stand out, uh, at least in the marketplace. So you're going to fit somebody's somebody's needs. Somebody out there is looking for your style of work. If you're a little bit different, yeah, you're right. The reason that I made that gagging noise when you said light and airy, though, is because I completely associate light and airy style with the photographers who define themselves as natural light photographers because they're unwilling to experiment or even try flash. Yeah, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it uh, like a counterculture to it now, where our the flash photography groups are getting very popular now, and so a lot of there's a lot of photographers who are get, investing in this gear, and they're learning, they're getting better at the at the work, and they're getting good good results. And now I get I'll get the guy who will like emphasize with me, like he'll he'll uh, empathize with me, and he'll be like, "Hey man, oh yeah, isn't it so great to just get that flash lit photo?" And I and I want to shake them and tell them like, "Hey man, don't." overlook good natural light if your light if the light is there your understanding of light better be strong enough that you can work very well with the available light that's there and you should have a good understanding of everything that's in play to get those kind of moments so like they don't overlook good light that's available i think i think you kind of get people who want to be in a camp yeah and whereas we're just like like you and i for example we're probably we're more just concerned with getting good results and and there's more than one way to get there and you have to be aware of all of them and you can't discredit them What do you think? think? Uh, Oh man, I totally agree. I've worked with other photographers and because, okay, so I've made a hundred videos on, on flash photography on YouTube because I think that, you know, it's under underrepresented and because I think that there just needs to be better information out there. That's why I make the videos. So when I work with people and I don't have a flash out during a bridal prep and they're like, where's your flash, bro? You're like the flash guy. I'm like, yeah, but this window light is like killer right now. Like, why would I change anything? We're in an amazing room. It looks beautiful and 270 degrees. Like, I'm not, I'm not messing with this. And they're they're kind of like taken aback. No, you you should absolutely know both and don't pigeonhole yourself into using something strictly because it's what you know and what you're comfortable with. Uh, you constantly want to be expanding your boundaries to be, you know, more applicable to succeed in different situations. Yeah, we we all know that the hive mentality or just being a part of a team is is a really dangerous thing in pretty much every instance. But we see it so much in photography, and I don't want to shame anybody who puts themselves as a natural light photographer. Like that's fine if you prefer it, but don't tell me you prefer it because. 
you uh, because you don't know Flash and have never explored it. And consequently, uh, don't say that every natural light image is bad simply because it didn't have Flash. Like it, you're not you're not inherently more complex and better simply because you used Flash. You might have made the wrong decision because the natural light could have been great. So get a man that can do both. Nah, man, that's bullshit. Name names. I want to hear you. Some, I hear you call some people out. Come on. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's funny. I got, I got a guy one time. Was yeah. They just everybody wants to buddy up to like what they think that you're known for. What's funny is like the work that I show, the work that you and I both show um, on social media is primarily flash driven because I feel like that's where the people want to connect. What people want to connect with the most. They want to see um, how you did it, the behind the scenes. They want to. They want to like siphon off all this information from you and they don't they don't get the same experience of receiving an image that way when it's just a natural light photo like there's nothing impressive to people um in that mode of thought where they want to like learn things how do i light well you show them a nice you know nice lit um natural light photo there's, there's never any questions about why that photo was successful and what 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 went behind the making of the photo when really there's a conversation we had there as well too there is i think the the reason that let's say flash BTS and and the conversation of flash is so much more popular is because it's repeatable. Whereas natural light, especially when we're talking about a photo taken by somebody on the other side of the country might not be like it is and it isn't, but there's oftentimes going to be some inconsistency with the natural light when you try to apply it to a different situation, right? You know, if you take a photo in open shade well, what direction was the sun coming in and bouncing off off the ground at? You know, those situations you can teach how to how to recognize good natural light and like what you should look for in it. But flash, you can literally set it up just like a clock and have somebody completely on the other side of the world get the identical result as you. Mm-hmm. And I think the work can still be like you can still do natural light work and the flash lit work and that that can be your style complementary to each other i see i know um a photographer locally here who's whose work is generally naturally light driven and i've seen her lately getting more into some of the mag mod stuff and she's been she's been lighting her work up and it still feels consistent with her with her lighting style because she's balancing the ratio of fill to amp, the flash to ambient light and i'm seeing i'm seeing more of the ambient light in the in the of uh, in the exposure. So she's getting work consistent with her lighting style uh, naturally. So you could still be light and airy and shoot flash with, with some understanding of the, of the ratios of light that you're working with. So I, I think people need to get away from the stigma of thinking like, Oh, like you're going to lose the style of work that you have just because you're implementing another technique. I think it's still, it can still jive like flash, your flash and your natural light work can still be representative of, of your style together. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting that you that you kind of notice that about somebody's work. And this is one of the biggest struggles that I've ever had with style in general is, you know, like brightness is something that I think changes dramatically on my style. And I think one of the biggest things about my style is attaching or like being able to find a mood that complements the purpose of the image. And I do that with either natural light or with flash photography. Like if I'm in an environment and and we're trying to show loneliness, so here's a instance where I just had for an editorial project not too long ago, um, you know, a, a feeling of solitude amongst an image. And 
that's a situation where I didn't feel like the natural light in the room at all would work for because everything was just so bland. Like it was a very even brightness across the whole image if I just used the natural light. But implementing flash into it, I could kind of shine a spotlight on them and make them feel in a much darker, much more empty space. And so for me, it's really hard to associate like colors or brightness or anything like that with my style because I explore so many different moods. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. So lately I've been thinking about the concept of style being timeless. Do you think that style can be timeless and that it can exist now as, as it is. And then 20 years from now we look back on it and it doesn't date itself because of how the work was styled or does it date itself in that, in in that, you know, can you, can you look at work 20 years ago and then look at it and not be able to tell what era that work came from? That's super interesting because one of the things that I've always really tried to do in my wedding work is avoid big shifts in like color and everything and just stick with true to life because I thought that at the end of the day, I'd be able to look at my entire body of work and say like, well, at least nothing sticks out as that was so 2011. That was so 2013, right? Um, And while I think I've accomplished that for the most part with colors, like if I'm looking across my portfolio, I can almost drop anything in no matter what different aspects that affect the image still show up that kind of shape that image um, is a time period in my head. Now, I guess the tough part is like, how can you even look at your work from an outside perspective to kind of be detached from when you captured it, you know, because I can totally look at any, you give me any of my images, I'll tell you, you know, 18 month frame that that photo was captured in simply because of the visual elements of the photo. Like I can totally spot that in my, for my entire career, but you know, I wonder if the outside world can be, but I do think that there's that you can create an image that is not going to look like it was in a certain year to an outside viewer strictly by not going too far in any direction, right? Like the, if you just go true to life, then you're never going to recognize what period that was from outside of you know whatever is in the image, like the technology that's present in the image. Yeah, and I think I think if outside of people, like what style of clothing they are wearing, and like maybe like what like if like objects and decor, like you, outside of those things that kind of tip their hand about like what time, like what period specific images were. I think like I ha- I'd like to think now that I've got a style of photography, style of editing that is going to sustain itself for maybe at least another like five years at the very least, maybe 10 years. I feel like I've, whatever I've been building up towards, I feel like I've, I've gotten close to it now. And I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting a style of work that I think is going to be more timeless. And I think the work we do now as a wedding industry on a whole is going to hold up very well over time versus like, I go into my parents' house and see their 19, you know, 1988 valve renewal. And, you know, there's definitely, it's definitely 1988 when you look at the photos and not just like how they were dressed, but how it was photographed. So I feel like we're at an evolution point in photography with how we approach photojournalism, how we approach lighting, how we approach uh, editing. I think, I think now the work is going to hold up long term. Well, I think the interesting thing too, is the, the huge gamut 
of of particular styles. Now, I feel like if you if we had like you know us and say ten of our photographer friends from all over the United States, if we all took our parents' wedding photos, like they would all seem so eighties, right, or seventies, mm-hmm. or whatever. They would all seem like so fit to that genre that you could like call it out. Whereas nowadays it's it's a little bit harder to date things strictly by the the properties of the image like the the colors and everything because people have been so niche with their editing styles that everything has kind of coexisted along the same time period yeah and i I think also we have to look at technology's effect on style over time and i i've even experienced it within the last even four years and when I, I went from Canon to to Nikon for the D750s, and that was a huge change in my style because now I was afforded all this dynamic range that I had been missing. And my style then started to slant towards uh, underexposing scenes heavily, uh, pushing shadows heavily. And I was looking to like fill in shadows and pull down highlights and getting all this full tonality in an image where it didn't really belong. Like we don't look at photos. We don't look at things the way I was trying to edit them. And so my style had, had, was lending itself to the period of gear that I was using. And now, uh, since I've moved on to the D850, and even though I still have all that dynamic range afforded to me, I've realized now, like my style is getting more about, about showing dark darks and white whites and getting, getting this contrast. And I, my style is shifting, uh, and not taking full advantage of the latitude and dynamic range that's there. So, but that's, that was a conscious choice. So I think over time, of course, we're going to see gear impact these style decisions. So I'm very curious to see in the next five to 10 years, what changes about the work technically because of what's available on the market from the gear. Like, you know, how is the presence of uh, mirrorless cameras affecting, you know, Sony, you know, the Sony a nine or the a seven R three versus, you know, how does that stuff affect, what's going on in our industry as far as style is concerned. It's going to change. Well, yeah, here's a curious one and and one I'm wondering what it's going to look like in five to 10 years from now is the high-speed sync wide aperture flash lit portrait. Because that was something that was kind of inaccessible a decade ago, right? Nobody could do these wide apertures outside unless you were using ND filters, which... Uh, nobody really wanted to do. It was such a rare thing to see a outdoor portrait, flashlit, bright sunlight day with no depth of, or I'm sorry, extremely shallow depth of field. And now I'm almost looking at that as like the intro flash portrait. That's a funny, that's a very interesting perspective on it. Yeah, it it was so unattainable before to do easily. It meant investing in the right gear uh, that was probably costing more than you'd want to invest in naturally, uh, normally. And then, um, you know, you were probably, we were probably doing ND filters and we needed a high powered strobe. Like I, I had to bring out an Einstein with a Vagabond 600 watt seconds to shoot a wide aperture uh, flashlit portrait. And now, now we just have high speed sync. You're right. It is, it has become the mark of a, very intro beginner style of shooting now. Yeah. And I mean, well, and the thing is, is that like, it's become so popular that everybody out there who developed an audience for it has explained it. Right. So the availability of the information to create that image is just, I mean, I could go on a group right now and probably if it's about lighting within 20 posts, I can probably find not only somebody's example of it, but they would probably have a BTS guide of it as well. 
Uh, it's just the nature of being in these groups right now. That look is so hot. And also everybody likes to share behind the scenes aspects of it that, you know, you can easily acquire that information, the exact gear that you need. And it's way, the gear is way more accessible now. It's more affordable. Uh, you know, it takes a lot less money to accomplish that. And the look and the skill and barrier to the information is basically non-existent. So I'm sorry, the skill is very easy to access and the barrier to that is uh, non-existent. So I'm just curious, like 10 years from now, is it going to be like, ugh, F1.8? Like, man, that, that was a, a intro portrait right there. That was That's mm. easy, easy mode. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny, it's, it's despite the barrier to entry being so low now, uh, it's still hasn't lent itself to really lifting up the industry as a whole in terms of more complex skills like i you know you would think the affordability of buying four flashes being so low now would mean that you'd see more complex four light setups multiple light setups and you don't really see a lot of that because it's still uh, a higher skill to achieve uh, in the in the realm of off-camera flash so i think despite the barrier to access being so low we're not seeing um that more complex stuff being lifted up. Like I, I thought we'd see some, you know, I think as an industry whole, I would see more um, complex work going on in those groups by now because there's so much of this gear has been on the market for so long. Yeah. And still like the, the vast majority of things that you see both being shared and getting significant attention are just typically single light portraits outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's, it's puzzling a little bit. But, you know, it's just what's hot right now. Yeah, I'm like, it's cool to see it. I'm cool. It's cool to see like what's going to happen in the next five years. I just want to see like I'm always I, I wish I could like really take a mental um, picture of like where I'm at at a certain time uh, when it comes to like the gear, the style to really to really take stock in it and then to be able to uh, to look back on it later. Like if I had the time capsule to go back and see, I guess we do if, as far as like the photos are, we can observe the work that we were doing. But uh, yeah, I really want to see like I'm just so excited by new tech and I want to see what's happening in five years from now, 10 years from now, where, where are we going to be standing looking? What are we going to be looking back on? You know, and how much great work can we be doing? Let's make, you know what we should do? We should make predictions for style. Like what do you think is mm -hmm. going to happen next? Or th they can be visually related or they can be technologically related. I'll, I'll give you, I have mine kind of in my head if you want me to go first. Cause I'm springing this on you. Yeah, man, go for it. I've thought for a while that the next evolution of photography would be getting the camera off the face. And I think there's been I think there's been flashes of this with a tilt screen and I think there's been uh flashes of this with drones. Like the whole the whole cool thing about the drone was now I can get this aerial perspective of an image and I still don't think that it's been exercised in a way that would be uh, truly powerful. And the way that I think that it would be like incredible is just having the, like having some type of feed. I'm thinking Google glasses here, like Google glasses with my camera's LCD screen mm -hmm. and just having the camera off of my face to the point where I could like put it somewhere else in the room and still see what's going on to where I could take a picture, which sounds really creepy now that I say it. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> but, but you know, it kind of flashes back to what I talked about earlier of just having the camera at my waist 
and being able to communicate with someone while still capturing the photo silently, uh, that's just been so powerful. So the idea of having it on my face, like reaching up above my head and not awkwardly trying to see my my tilt screen because Sony won't make a flip screen, you know, yeah. if that was just still directly in my face, like how much more comfortable, how much faster would that be? Uh, and what would the results be on my images overall? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't take much to get like a VR setup to have like half a lens hanging over one eye so you can still see with your left eye and then to be able to like live view capture the light in your um the, what the camera's seeing into into that display so you could you could just move the flat camera around and then just kind of do a little snapshot. I I, I like the idea that I could see some application for it. I'm having this stupid idea right now. It's making me laugh way too hard. Um <laughs> what if like what if we had like avatars or proxies who did photography for us so they just basically wear the headset and we make them move around and like tell them where to put the camera. <laughs> To point at things so like, like you would just have like uh, an avatar like somebody somebody working for me um like i'll just be at home like doing doing <laughs> like watching netflix and i'll be like yeah look over there take a picture of that do this set your camera to that and then you could change all the cameras settings remotely and then just tell the guy where to put the flash and and light and <laughs> just oh gosh that would be incredible what if you could like you could do like five weddings at once. Like you just had this master security booth at home where you're just like controlling five different people. Maybe that'll be. There was yeah. that robot that captured its first wedding. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm laughing, but well, but then actually I could see an actual application for that. What if you were a photographer with a disability, like you you're a paraplegic and you couldn't you couldn't move your body, like uh, to to be in charge of somebody's able body to take pictures for you? I, I don't mean to sound like I'm laughing at the thought of that, but maybe that could be a thing. Like who knows? Like technology and ideas and concepts go move at such an incredible pace. Like nothing seems off off the table for an idea like that no it's really hard to to envision something outside the realms of possibility these days because everything's moving so fast it's like well we're about to be gene editing babies so who knows <laughs> who knows what's next yeah i wish i was a little more uh forward thinking and that i could make some kind of bold prediction about like where things are going to head in the future but uh, I'm not quite the vision, like the visionary when it comes to that kind of stuff, at least as far as the tech. But like style wise, I think we're kind of experiencing it already. I think there's a counterculture to the light and airy. And like I said, people want to be in a camp. And so I think now you're seeing that dark and moody and that's that's kind of getting its its um, its day in the light here. And I think it's just going to be a constant going back and forth like, well, oh, I'm not dark and moody. I'm light and airy. And I think you're going to see just a, a flip-flopping of that in popularity uh, little by little. And, it, and you even see like it, it's affected our wedding industry industry, like the blog industry. Like we, we lost style me pretty for a little bit that the blog style me pretty, but I think they're back in some capacity and, and all they did was regurgitate the same, you know, light and airy style and, you know, style. Isn't, style, that, the blog, isn't that the blog that didn't share anything but white people? Yeah, and okay. uh, they got slammed pretty hard for it for not having more <laughs> diversity in their Im wedding images. But um, yeah, I think and style is something that can get you work with people or keep you from working with them. I, I think directly, like I think my dark and moodier style of work, at least as far as what wedding vendors see, I think it keeps me from working with a lot of the wedding planners in town who um, who have 
good relationships with uh, some of the other photographers who are doing more light and airy work. I, I wish I was getting more weddings from these planners because every time I work with them, you know, we always have a good time and they, they say like they enjoy the experience of working with me, but I'm not getting those referrals. And I think it's because I don't do the lay flat photography stuff of like all the details. I don't do the light and airy stuff that trends and gets them in the photo blogs and gets them into magazine covers. Uh, my style is a little more, um, just kind of against the grain for what what trends with a lot of the planners. So, you know, if I find found a planner who's more in line with my values, I think I'd get more work. But in my town, I don't really feel that. So all in all, if you're trying to figure out your style, just know that it's going to be a never-ending process. So you're going to have to juggle the movement of your career along with your ever-changing visual preferences along with whatever type of niche photography genre that you're working in. But always be considerate of the emotions, the moods, the content, the purpose, as well as the technical aspects that are really driving your work. Take a step back and look at your work constantly. Look at other people's work so you can get an idea if you're moving in the right direction. And my takeaway from this episode is that if you're struggling with style and you're trying to find it, I just remember that nothing happens overnight. Uh, look, hone in on a preset that you like and start honing in on the type of subjects that you like to shoot and give yourself time to look at it over, over, um, you know, not just a week or you know, a month. Like you need to look at this from a perspective of growth from a year to several years. And I look at my growth in photography and my style over a long period of time. So you need to start just shoot, just get out there and shoot. Start doing the same thing. Start repeating the same results because you need to really hone in on a style. Don't, don't you know, once you get your experiment, experimentation out of the way, uh, start to dial in your results and then use that style. Use that preset that you're doing for one set of images. Use it over the course of a year. And before you know it, you're going to have a strong portfolio of work that feels cohesive from top to bottom. And you're going to be able to pull out any image from that from that set of photos for your portfolio. And it's going to feel like a part of a bigger body of work. So just look for consistency and start making that happen in your work because you're going to see results, but it's going to take some time. Thanks for listening. Peace. Do you feel like time is real? <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>